My name is Sam. And my name is Tor. And uh, Friends of the Earth Europe, along with many of its groups, is calling for a just transition to 100% renewable, no nuclear, super energy efficient, zero fossil fuel Europe by 2030. This is the Fossil Free Europe campaign. It's quite a mouthful, but in this episode, we'll be presenting four stories, a taster of the type of struggles and solutions that form part of the campaign, the people power behind the transition to the fossil fuel free future that we need. Yeah, and the four stories all showcase groups who are engaging in activities and camps during the upcoming summer, with a joint aim of giving power to the people. Exactly. We're going to talk to activists in Sweden who are stopping new gas infrastructure. We'll head across the Baltic Sea to where our Estonian group are tackling shale oil by giving citizens control over the energy system. We'll talk to campaigners in the Czech Republic calling for an end to coal and a just transition for workers. And finally, to activists in Denmark exploring the potential of community-owned renewable energy solutions. All right, but uh, let's first head to Sweden, where a group of grassroots activists are mobilizing resistance against a new LNG terminal. Here's Annika from the group. Uh, my name is Annika Hagberg. Uh, I'm Swedish and I live in Gothenburg in Sweden. Uh, I have a master's in environmental science and I've been mainly working with urban sustainable development the last uh, five years. Uh, and I've also been active in the in the climate movement for almost 10 years, uh, mainly doing communication work, mobilization and working with education and inspiration. Um, and here in Gothenburg, I'm part of the local group who started a campaign launching in March this year, and it's called Fossilgasfällan, which uh, translates sort of as the fossil gas trap. We're we're an independent org, uh, group, but we have a very close connection with Friends of the Earth Sweden, also because their their head office is here in Gothenburg. Mm -hmm. uh, we happen to to come across uh, plans of a new terminal being built in the harbor here in Gothenburg, where they are where they want to uh, handle and sell liquefied natural gas (LNG), and we think that's a very bad idea. Then they're, they're also planning to build a pipeline and connect the LNG terminal to the Swedish gas network, which also then opens up for increased selling of, of fossil gas on the Swedish gas networks. I think uh, one of the drivers is, is that um, uh, coal and oil have been uh, lobbied quite quite hard and successfully for their environmental degradation and, and climate impact. So oil and coal are both uh, on the down, uh, on the down of, of use. They're, they're being phased out and it's much more in, in the public awareness that they're bad fuels and we're not supposed to use them anymore. Uh, however, in that lobbying against coal and oil, it seems that gas has, has taken the opportunity to sneak in the back door and uh, market itself as a clean 
clean transition fuel, even though it's a fossil fuel. What, what natural gas mainly consists of is methane. And methane is a very, is a, is a highly potent climate uh, greenhouse gas. And there, it's very common and systematically done that old numbers are being used for this um, conversion of, of climate impact. So, for example, the Swedish EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, they use these old digits from 2007, numbers from 2007, when they report Swedish emissions to the UN, for example. So there's a systematic failure going on here. It's not, the, it's not being updated with the, the, the more, re, more recent research. And that, to me, is also quite scary because it means that we're, we're consequently underestimating our climate impact. So gas is a fossil fuel, um, which in itself is, is a bad thing. Um, but uh, do you also see aspects uh, related to justice that uh, are of importance? Considering solidarity and, and climate justice, it makes absolutely no sense And for example, here in Sweden, it's a very it's a uh, industrialized country with a very good welfare condition and and financial situation. So we have much better means to to protect ourselves and adapt to climate change, while people in in many other countries don't have these means to protect themselves and also don't uh, perhaps have more restricted ways of of mitigating their emissions and as well as adapting to climate change. So it, it's simply, it's unfair. Thanks, Annika. We'll uh, come back to you at a later stage, but uh, let's for now head uh, to the other side of the Baltics to uh, Mikkel in Estonia. My name is Mikkel Anders actually, and uh, I'm quite new in uh, Friends of the Earth Estonia or Estonian Green Movement. I've been there over half a year now and my main job actually is connected to Bankwatch Network and uh, what we are doing in FOE Estonia currently in Oishel is uh, not that much but uh, we are refocusing on what we do daily uh, towards more working on oil shale. For those of you who haven't been to Estonia and don't know about how uh, Estonia produces its electricity, We use oil shale for that. And oil shale is basically a solid state fuel. It's a rock with what we did to the ground, filled with organic and inorganic matter. And the amount of organic matter, or the little amount of organic matter there is, constitutes to its uh, calorific value, uh, which is the amount of electricity we can, uh, or the amount of energy we can get out of this fossil fuel. But the amount of organic matter in oil shale is considerably lower than, for example, another popular uh, solid fossil fuel, coal. Oil shale has three times less calorific value compared to coal, and for example, even less than lignite. So if you put it uh, on a table, then oil shale is comparably the worst fossil fuel you can find on Earth. But if it's such a dirty fossil fuel, why is it still being used? Um, the government, lo uh, the local government, we really likes the status quo because they don't have to. It's easier for them to just uh, keep subsidizing the industry and keep it going, because uh, there are certain like national safety issues involved. Because the region, uh, which is uh, in which the oil shale is dug up, it's uh, close to the Russian border, and the majority of 
of the locals there are Russian speaking, and they're not well, they're not well integrated in this Estonian Estonian society. So if there would be a Brexit, as we call it, which is exit from uh, Polavgivi, which is oil shale, so we created this kind of uh, world play because of it sounds like Brexit, so we created Brexit. Anyway, so it's really uh, really difficult for the Estonian government to do that because um, it might be similar to Luhansk and, and uh, the other eastern uh, Ukraine areas because uh, it might create a safety hazard. But of course, it's it's only something that you would would come up. Of course, it's a it's a I, I would say it's an argument, but there is no action plan to alternatives in this region. And that is one of the things that we are actually saying to the government that how come there's no action plan? But how's the uh, awareness of climate change or environment issues amongst Estonians? There was a survey uh, about a few years ago that came out that uh, about half of the people in Estonia considered the oil shale as, as a fuel of the future and we should use it. And about half of the Estonian people also uh, didn't recognize uh, global warming as a problem. So there was not really good awareness uh, among Estonian people. And that's actually what uh, what's we are actually flagging in the future. Because, you know, if I'm looking uh, outside right now, it's, it's the late April now, but uh, it is still hailstorms and, and stuff like that. So So people don't consider global warming as a thing here. You are listening to Friends of the Earth Europe's show at the Your Radio. We're, we're going to move to the Czech Republic, where a local mayor is trailblazing the just transition for his local community. Romana from Friends of the Earth Czech Republic will tell us more. Hi, I'm Romana Katslikova. I'm from uh, Czech Republic, from the local Friends of the Earth. Uh, or Nuti Doha organization. And uh, yeah, today we'll be talking about uh, our uh, uh, cooperation or, or the activities which uh, are in the north of uh, nor- northern Bohemia region here in Czech Republic. So in fact, in Czech Republic, it's a very known uh, mining region uh, where uh, the mining um, had, has to stop in, in some upcoming years. So um, currently there is a very vital discussion about what is going to happen with the region. And also a very important thing is that there's a one town which... Um, historically uh, had to be destroyed but but wasn't happily and the inhabitants there together with the mayor are very uh, active in the struggle against coal and also they want to have a nice nice environment for themselves now so it is a very good opportunity for them. Thanks Romana and uh, maybe you can tell us about your specific struggle. Uh, so this town, which is called Hornijetin, and it's located in northwestern Bohemia, uh, has been threatened in the past with destruction. Uh, it, the destruction was stopped mainly thanks to the local, pe- local people resistance and, and their pers- perseverance over uh, the, the years. 
And now the focus is on finding the solution for the bright future of the region and just transition for each individual. And maybe, Romana, concretely, what, what, does, what does the just transition mean for this town? Um, some studies were prepared uh, for the region uh, by the state and also by, for example, some students from university. Uh, and there are several, several uh, suggestions uh, how the jobs can be created. One of the very interesting ones was, for example, that uh, the historical, um, historical potential will be used uh, of the region, which was that uh, in the past there were alleys with the trees, uh, with the fruit trees, which produced uh, a lot of fruits. And uh, so it, it also boosted the local uh, jobs. So the, not only the production of, of the fruits, but also the, the processing. Yeah. So uh, not only the production of the fruits, but also processing of the fruits into, for example, juices or, or dried food, dried fruits uh, can create jobs in the area. And... Uh, could you maybe also tell us uh, what is going on um, at the moment? Yes. Uh, so, in fact, there are more layers on what is going on because uh, as Mr. Bush is the mayor of the town, so he sees it a lot from the perspective of, of the mayor. So, uh, until summer, there are going to be uh, some projects started in the in the. Uh, in the town, uh, which includes, uh, for example, also uh, reconstructions of schools. So they try to make them more uh, ecological. So they they uh, want to change the boiler for um, uh, the thermal uh, thermal one, and, and they will install some isolation, for example. Also, uh, there are ongoing, ongoing discussions about uh, what the action plan for the region would be. Uh, these are discussions which are going on on the level of government uh, together with the, with the regional administration and local authorities. Uh, so until summer, it should be clear which uh, points the action plan would include. Yeah, and finally, uh, there is also um, the fact that uh, we are trying to, to um, make the, uh, the theme or topic uh, still going on in the media so that the people know what is happening and, and what uh, is the future of the region. And also part of that is the climate camp, which will take place somewhere in the region around the town or in the, in the mining area. And it will, it will happen in uh, June. And it will include a lot of uh, lectures and discussions with the people from the region and from some experts and from some people who uh, knew what was happening in the past. And, and, and maybe could you uh, tell us how you from Hunti uh, Duha are engaging in this? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, apart from doing some work with the media, so from time to time we are supporting uh, the reporters with, with some data and so on. Uh, during the climate camp, uh, there will be some people from, from our organization also talking during the discussions or lectures. And also we are participating uh, at the organization of, of the whole camp. Great stuff. And is there an open invite? Uh, yes, sure. <laughs> anyone, anyone, is, uh, in, in, anyone is welcome, of course. Uh, and we also, we are trying to get some, some people from uh, foreign countries to, to speak there about their experience. So I, I think it will be very re relevant.
that uh, people from other countries come and maybe also say something during the discussions. And, and of course, uh, meeting, meeting some other people from other countries with different experience uh, will be very, really nice for us. Thanks, Romana. Exciting stuff. So moving back to Estonia, we asked Mikhail what Friends of the Earth Estonia have planned uh, and what they are going to do to move the Estonian energy production away from the dirty fossil fuel oil share. Yes, well, basically we've created our perfect action plan and now the next step is to find funders for that, find uh, partners for that. But the action, action plan itself is really feasible and we think this is, uh, this is our long-term future for our organization. As I said, uh, oil shale is mainly used for electricity production. The largest alternative that we might use uh, would be offshore wind parks and pump storage for, uh, for, for the low periods. But uh, if we are after energy independence, it would be the logical choice to, to, to create a, a community on the energy production as well. But of course, there are, currently in Estonia, there are certain legal aspects uh, blocking this. Because if, for example, if uh, I would put 20 solar panels on my roof, I would not be able to sell the excess electricity to my neighbor because I would have to sell it to the grid and then the grid sells it to the neighbor or the grid owner, sorry. Um, so there are certain legal obstructions to, to uh, community-based uh, energy. Uh, so it seems like you got the plan, but uh, where are you going to start? For example, direct uh, communication with, uh, with youth by going to schools, talking with them about energy, about the prospects of Estonia, uh, and alternative, uh, alternative things we can use in Estonia, and also uh, summer schools when we can even have more contact. All right, thanks a lot, Mikhail. Now, just on the other side of the Baltic Sea, the problems couldn't be more different. Henning from Friends of the Earth Denmark tells us more about the struggle to convince the Danish government that community-owned and managed renewables are the future and should be prioritized over large-scale renewable projects. My name is uh, Henning Bo Madsen, and uh, I'm uh, working with uh, renewable energy in, uh, in Denmark. I'm uh, organized in some... Uh, volunteer organizations like uh, NOAA Friends of the Earth Denmark and also a local uh, association where we're working for promoting renewable energy in our local area. We have a situation and the lucky situation that renewable energy is uh, also uh, local energy. Solar energy will be uh, available in almost all parts of, uh, of the country uh, with, a, with small variations. And uh, and wind energy is uh, also available in uh, in many parts of the country. There's a possibility to have uh, have uh, local income and local uh, development from the renewable energy sources, and that's uh, what that is what we are also promoting in our uh, organizations, uh, both locally and uh, and nationally. Uh, we're trying to. Uh, to get as much uh, local ownership, as much community ownership as, uh, as possible. All right, Henning, but you and I are both Danes and we know Denmark is somewhat far north and uh, it's not really renowned for its sunny days. 
we have the amount of solar uh, radiation uh, on Danish soil is uh, is more than 220 times the total energy consumption in Denmark. We have uh, we have plenty of uh, of, uh, of solar energy. The the problem is uh, to to catch the solar energy and to to have to have some kind of uh, storage and to uh, and to uh, because the solar energy is of course in the, in the daytime and mostly in the summer period so uh, so for other times of the year and for the night we uh, we need to uh, we need to have uh, have wind and uh, and um, and we need to have uh, storage to uh, but we have uh, abundant resources of uh, solar energy in Denmark and that uh, is almost the ca- also the case in uh, almost every country around the world. It's uh, not that recognized actually, but uh, all of the European countries have uh, have abundant solar solar resources. We just have to uh, uh, make the make the economy look right and uh, make it possible for for local citizens to uh, actually. Uh, actually uh, harvest the solar energy. So what's what's the political barrier here? Basically, basically I think they don't understand that uh, that uh, there's a really good possibility for local people, for local production, and even with photovoltaics on, uh, on uh, individual houses, there are also good uh, possibilities and they should uh, promote that instead of uh, uh, basically all almost uh, rely, rely totally on uh, big uh, projects yet the advantages are so clear could you maybe elaborate a bit on that yeah it's it's clear that we uh, when we have a, uh, have locally produced uh, uh, energy both for electricity and heating and uh, also, uh, at least in the in the future, for for transportation, um, we need to have a lot more uh, electricity used in in transportation, of course. But it's obvious that then then we have uh, control of our own uh, energy supply, and we don't have to import uh, fossil fuels or uh, uranium or anything from uh, from abroad. So it's a matter of. Uh, also uh, security for for the supply and we also have to uh, realize that we can get generate local uh, local income uh, with the energy production instead of uh, basically uh, buying uh, buying uh, energy from uh, from somewhere else in the world and uh, and make the money leave the, the country but also, uh, also the local uh, local development. We have to uh, have to think of uh, creating more economic development in, uh, in rural areas. So, local benefits, energy security, and truly renewable democratic solutions are possible. But there's lots to be done raising awareness and political support to make that transition to a fossil fuel-free future. We're going to go back to Sweden and talk about the summer of engagement. Uh, our biggest part of the cooperation with Friends of the Earth Sweden is also by uh, organizing the summer camp with uh, a climate camp, which will be held in third uh, f- uh, to seventh of August um, here in Gothenburg, and it's a cooperation between Friends of the Earth Sweden, Fossil Gasfällan, uh, Friends of the Earth Europe, and uh, the Swedish National Youth Organization Climate and Youth. 
And 350, uh, 350.org, which is it's a historic cooperation because the, these uh, five organizations have never worked together before. So it's very exciting. It's, it's uh, going to be uh, the first of its kind, to my knowledge, um, because we're going to be inviting very broadly. It's basically a summer climate camp for the entire movement in, in Sweden, not just the climate movement, of course, but everyone who is related to uh, justice or solidarity issues or peace issues, because climate affects all of this and all these issues are connected because they're, they're founded in the same uh, problem of this unfair system globally that we've got going on. Um, but that's a long, that's a long discussion and story. But um, so for the camp, we're planning uh, seminars, inspirational lectures, a lot of, uh, I guess, um, exercises and trainings so that people who are completely new to activism can uh, are very welcome to come, as well as people who have been in the movement for, for a longer period or have uh, more experience of, of hands-on action, for example. So there's inspiration, uh, education, and and um, uh, talks about solutions that affect that will affect that can, is relevant for anybody at any level. And um, do you think you can win this uh, this struggle? I actually think we can. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, thanks a lot, Annika, for this uh, inspirational message at the end. And uh, thanks also to uh, Henning and Mikkel and Romana for taking part in this. Uh, it's just a snapshot of the activities across Europe that form part of the Fossil Free Europe campaign. It's all working to create the much-needed, fair and urgent transition to a fossil fuel-free Europe by 2030. Look out also for the Days of Action coming up the 13th and 14th of October this year that we are doing together with the International Friends of the Earth organization. And like Tor says, these are just some of the people involved in dismantling the fossil fuel system. There'll be more to come throughout the year. We'll be profiling more of the inspirational work of our members. So thanks a lot for listening and tune in in a couple of weeks' time for our special edition on feminism and gender justice. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Thank Take you. Care, everyone. Bye. This was Friends of the Earth Europe and Rio Radio.